0: Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond.
1: again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Pastor Mark.
0: And I'm Pastor Zach.
1: And today's topic is kind of a fun one for us to dive (laughs) into. In uh, the immortal (laughs) words of Alvin and the Chipmunks, Christmas, Christmas time is here. And so um, we are going to be talking about Christmas. What is a Reformed theology of Christmas. What are some of the Reformed reactions to Christmas traditions and so forth? And um, we want to take the approach this episode of looking both at the Reformed theology and looking at how that plays out in our lives today. Kind of making applications of Reformed theology and asking the question of how does a Reformed theology of Christmas impact how we should spend our time throughout the month of December, especially on December 25.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting season, as we'll see here as we go through the sort of the history of the church on Christmas, that it hasn't always been uh, agreed on. What to do with Christmas, um, especially in our tradition, it has become, um, over the past several centuries... A pretty contentious discussion within the church and particularly within the reformed tradition that we inhabit and share together. And so I think what we want to do is is jump into the history a little mm-hmm. bit um, and touch on the different views of the Protestant churches and of our reformed churches. And then we'll, we can sort of land the, the plane at the end of the episode about Uh, where we're at today and how we feel about how Christmas is Hmm. currently being celebrated by the world and by the church in particular.
1: Yeah. And really woven into this conversation are questions about the church calendar. And so that will uh, surface at different points in the conversation and also a theology of play. So, um, Obviously, Christmas is a time where people have a lot of fun. And so one of the questions that people might have for those who push back a little bit on Christmas is, well, does God want us to have fun? Does God want us to feast? Mm -hmm. Does he want us to laugh and enjoy uh, time with one another? Is fellowship really limited to things like worship and service or can fellowship also include um, enjoying food and laughing and playing games together.
0: Yeah, it's, it seems to me, and Mark and I were talking about this before we hit record, that much of the Protestant church could be accused of being more ascetic than uh, fun. And what I mean by that is that we're more prone to sacrificing things, to holding back, refraining from doing things. Work ethic. Re- yeah, refraining from doing what's considered frivolous um, or unnecessary. And so the idea of feasting seems a little bit wasteful mm. to the modern Protestant mind often. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, I, the idea of fasting seems a little bit more, uh, it fits a little bit more with where we're at. We sort of think we should hold back. We should not overindulge, not not eat all the sweets, don't, don't drink the alcohol, hold back. Mm-hmm. Um, don't do anything that would be too fun, it may draw you away from God and distract you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, that is sort of woven into a theology of the church calendar as well because the calendar has seasons of fasting and seasons of feasting built right in.
1: Yeah, so, those questions are really under the surface and I'm sure they'll pop up at different points, especially as we think about different reformers' attitudes towards Christmas. And Everything that I found was really a uh, more commentary on Christmas Day and the celebration of Christmas Day itself. I actually mm-hmm. didn't find much in my research on Advent, it's kind of the season of expectation yeah. of Christmas or a season of expectation of celebrating Jesus' birth. Um, but really, pretty much what I found was reformers answering the question should. Christians gather for a special Christmas Day worship service and then presumably also have times of family celebration where there's a big meal and exchange of gifts and so forth. And so Hmm. um, Ulrich Zwingli, the early reformer, held very strongly to what is called the regulative principle of worship. And if one wants to learn more about that, we've done an episode, I think even a couple episodes on worship, Mm-hmm. And um, this is the idea to summarize that anything that is done in Christian worship should, should be expressly commanded in Scripture. And so what Scripture commands is what we do in worship. What Scripture does not command is not allowed in a service of Christian worship. And so Zwingli held very strongly to the re- regulative principle and therefore prohibited celebrations of Christmas in um in his own church
0: yeah which is interesting because zwingli would have been a swiss he was a swiss reformer and he was sort of the first reformed mm-hmm. uh reformer he was sort of the first generation he was around the same time as luther uh, but in switzerland and was different from luther in various ways and that's how we get the reformed tradition from zwingli we get other big names like heinrich Bullinger. And Art even Bootser, Calvin comes down And John Calvin, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and John Calvin, though he was French, uh, would wind up in Switzerland himself. And so they are sort of in that same stream. But later on, what becomes apparent through looking at the history of the Reformed churches is that, by and large, the continental Reformed churches become okay with the e- what they call the Evangelical Feast Days. This is to celebrate the Lord's nativity, circumcision, his passion, his resurrection. So you can think of Good Friday, Easter, his ascension, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So these, these days were accepted to be uh, okay to celebrate. They were even encouraged um, by the Second Helvetic Confession or the Swiss Confession in 1564. They say that we approve of these days highly. They use the word highly, which is... Hmm really unique mm-hmm. um, because when we contrast the Zwinglian approach um, with or when we or when we compare it to the Puritans we see that it's very similar mm-hmm. so the Puritans are the, the essentially the reformed uh, inheritors uh, across the pond or not, um, across, or the, across channel. the channel is the better <laughs> way of saying it f- yep. from where we're at in the continental areas um, so across the channel you have the, the Puritans who are taking the the reformed tradition and they would be more in line with with Zwingli. Mm -hmm. Um, They would be even outright against it. And the Scottish Presbyterians up north uh, even made it basically illegal, and they imposed civil penalties on those who would keep to any of the calendar other than the Sabbath day.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see how anti-Catholicism is probably woven in quite a bit to this strong reaction towards the church calendar in general, and maybe even Christmas in particular. Yeah.
0: So I guess the the takeaway from that would be that the Reformed tradition has mixed opinions on it.
1: Yeah. Well, and on the more positive side, you would find John Calvin. And Calvin really saw the issue of celebrating Christmas as a local matter, not really one Hmm. that... There needs to be some kind of magisterial pronouncement that this is good and everyone should celebrate Christmas Day. Or mm-hmm. this is really not good because it's not in the Bible that we sh- would find the command to celebrate Christmas Day. And so uh, Calvin uh, left it this up to Christian conscience or he called it what was would be called in theology, theological terms, adiaphora. So this is something that Christians can disagree about and still love one another, still say that we serve the same God, we, we share the same baptism and so forth and so on.
0: So. Yeah, that's something that, that the reformed tradition shares, I think all across the board where wherever you fall, is that there's a reluctance to impose the church calendar as a matter of conscience. Mm. Uh, there, there was not there was a desire not to say that everybody has to do this, must do this. If, at, the, at the very most they would say, Uh, you are allowed to do this. And we approve of it, but we're never going to enforce it, Uh, which was different when we look at other Reformation churches. We look at the Lutherans. Mm. Uh, If you were in a Lutheran territory, you were essentially being enforced to observe the calendar. Mm. And the same with the Anglican church as well. This is largely why the Puritans were, I think, so radically opposed to it was that they were being forced to observe the Mm -hmm. church calendar Mm -hmm. by the Church of England.
1: Yeah, and John Calvin therefore allowed for churches to celebrate this, but also wanted to make space for those who who did believe that this was not in the Bible and so it's not something that they should do. Mm -hmm. And Calvin did personally celebrate christmas day Um, he wrote once wrote in a letter that he celebrates the day of christ's birth and um, it's even remarkable as well that john Calvin preached pretty much every day um, of his ministry he would preach a sermon sometimes even two sermons and so preaching every day he would be using this practice called lectio continua or expository preaching where he would go straight through a book of the bible and it was noted that Calvin broke Lectio Continua on December 25. On Christmas Day, he would preach a Christmas sermon. And so hmm. that's a little bit instructive in terms of how he thought about Christmas Day. He celebrated it himself, and he preached Christmas Day sermons that were particularly pointed towards you know, theology of the Incarnation and so forth. And it's really interesting, one of these Christmas Day sermons uh, from Christmas Day 1551 was quoted on um, Heidel blog. This is the blog of R. Scott Clark, who is a Reformed theologian. And this is not the warm and fuzzy kind (laughs) of Christmas Day sermon that you would expect to find in evangelical churches in our day. He basically noticed, um, again, because he was preaching every day, And people would come and hear him preach in church. And there would be, at times, larger crowds than others. And he begins his Christmas Day sermon noting, oh, there's a lot more people in church today. (laughs) And so he sees that people have come to church, presumably on that day, just to celebrate Christmas Day Hmm. as a kind of sentimental or even superstitious celebration of the day itself. And so I'm going to read... Some of the sermon that he preached on that day, he said, In your mind, you are celebrating a holiday for God, or turning today into one, but so much for that. In truth, as you have often been admonished, it is good to set aside one day out of the year in which we are reminded of all the good that has occurred because of Christ's birth in the world, and in which we hear the story of his birth retold, which will be done Sunday. And so he's basically saying (laughs) Sunday still is the Lord's Day, and that's the day Mm -hmm. that we should observe as a day of rest and worship. But if you think that Jesus Christ was born today, you are as crazed as wild beasts. For when you elevate one day alone for the purpose of worshiping God, you have just turned it into an idol. And then later in the sermon he says, It matters not whether we recall our Lord's nativity on a Wednesday, Thursday, or some other day. But when we insist on establishing a service of worship based on our whim, we blaspheme God and create an idol, though we have done it all in the name of God. And so what he is confronting is this practice that continues to our day of people all of a sudden getting very spiritual on December 25 or December 24, mm-hmm. maybe Christmas Eve service. And he he gives a rousing sermon of confrontation to the sin of being superstitious or sentimental about Christmas Day because it's so special um, as if it's any more special than any Lord's Day or really any other day of the year where we're called to celebrate and believe the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus.
0: Yeah, that is not the typical sermon you would hear (laughs) in a church on a Sunday morning or on a Christmas Day service. (laughs) Yeah, if
1: I preached in that way, people would leave feeling like, oh, man, what was Pastor Mark so angry about today uh, confronting us in such a way, which I think shows that Calvin was right to preach mm-hmm. in that way um, in 1551, and maybe we need a little bit more of that sobering hmm. uh, rebuke, perhaps not on Christmas Day, but in general, I do think that Calvin's um, his rhetoric was valuable, because this very same thing happens in our day as well. And and Calvin, basically, he didn't want to cast those people out of church. He wanted to correct them and say, worship God all the time. Worship him with your whole lives. Worship him on Sunday, um, especially. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Calvin certainly, as I said, he did celebrate Christmas, but he wanted to make sure that it was a celebration of Jesus Christ and not mm-hmm. the celebration of a special day.
0: Yeah, that's, that's another thing that needs to be said when we talk about the Reformed view, if there is a Reformed view of the church calendar. It's that all across the board for the Reformed churches, Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, becomes the preeminent day of celebration, mm. um, and the others are completely relativized by it. Um, and so we can think back about a biblical theology of the Lord's Day and of how God separates time. We think about the creation story on the seventh day, God rests. Uh, and so we see that God is already marking time right from the very beginning. We we as humans live in time, and God God has hmm. we are we are marked by by how time orients our lives. And then we see in the rest of the Old Testament story, God gives certain days for the people uh, to remember different redemptive acts that He has done. Uh, As we see Passover, we Mm -hmm. see the Feast of Unleavened Bread, of first fruits, weeks, trumpets, and so on, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and then booths and tabernacles. And these all are supposed to uh, recall to mind something that God has done, a way that he has blessed his people, and then they all find their fulfillment in Christ. And we could do a whole episode on just discussing how Christ has fulfilled each of these different redemptive acts. But what we find is that because he has fulfilled them, uh, the apostles were very, very opposed to mandating that they be observed and followed. Uh, there, w- there was not any uh, requirement for Christians in the New Testament to follow these, these this calendar, these different feasts, because Christ had fulfilled all of them. Although we do see, strangely, I think, uh, a little bit, it was surprising to me to discover this, that Paul, um, even after his conversion still in some sense has the the, the calendar in his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we see in the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Um, and even when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, he, he says that he would tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And so he still has this sort of calendrical uh, approach to how he lives his life. His time is still being ordered but what he was against was was saying that anybody had to follow these jewish calendar days anymore um yeah
1: there's the text about the new moon festivals right yeah in colossians colossians 2 as if one day really matters more than another day and he says well for one person that day really might matter a lot and Mm -hmm. and for the other person um it's uh they have a different approach to how they they worship the lord and different days. And so I think that's really Calvin's mm-hmm. um, attitude towards Christmas Day. And um, and so Calvin is permissive, but uh, he also does encourage certainly that people would celebrate Jesus' birth. Mm-hmm. Um, Zwingli was opposed, and Luther was far more in favor as Pastor Zach has already mentioned. There was mm-hmm. um, the mandate in, in places to celebrate the nativity, the day of Jesus' birth. And Um, Luther's sermon in 1531 on Christmas Day would be just like a sermon that you would hear in an evangelical church today. It was an encouraging, pastoral, sensitive, and helpful sermon that um, built up the faith of people who um, believed God's Word, um, people who wanted to be like the shepherds who would come to see Christ and worship Him. Um, And so, it, here's a little quote from Luther's hmm. Christmas Day Sermon of 1531. He was talking about the shepherds, and he said that as they arrived, in spite of their fa- what their five senses told them, they believed and concluded, this is the king, this is the savior, the great joy of the people. There was nothing great in the hearts of those shepherds save for the words of the angel. And so, again, that's what you would probably hear on a christmas day sermon in uh church today uh encouragement to be like the shepherds to go and um worship christ to uh commit your 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 life to following him and uh, to go and spread the word of christ's birth and so luther was very pro uh very in favor of celebrating christmas day
0: yeah so to contrast that i'll I'll share another quote with you that i've Picked up from the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland in 1575, so this would have been not several, long after. Yeah. yeah, it would have been in the same century, but it would have been a few decades later. They said that we affirm that all de- all days that heretofore have been kept holy, besides the Sabbath days, such as Yule Day or Christmas Day, Saints' days, and such others, may be abolished, and a civil penalty against the keepers thereof by ceremonies, banqueting, fasting and other such vanities. And so you can see from Mm. just from these two quotes alone Mm -hmm. the the sharp point of contrast. Um, But then you have, as I've sort of shared a little bit earlier, the second Helvetic confession. If in Christian liberty the churches religiously celebrate the memory of the Lord's nativity, circumcision, passion, resurrection, and of his ascension into heaven, and the sending of the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, we approve of it highly. So you have... A lot of disagreement here yeah. and that's that's something to really take into account and to, to consider.
1: Yeah, and definitely I would fall more into the category of a John Calvin and hmm. um, some people might be surprised at that and expect just about any modern evangelical pastor to sound more like Luther. Although I do hmm. think Calvin was very sensitive to the perversion or to use an even stronger word, the bastardization of Christmas yeah. at the hands of our consumer American Western culture. Yeah, um, and so Calvin already saw that there could some things could go wrong here, mm-hmm. and um, that that's what he noticed when he saw many more people attending church on Christmas Day than on other days. They had very little interest in the incarnation, the death and resurrection of Jesus on April 4 uh they don't and they care a lot about it all of a sudden on december 25 and so that shows an idolatry of the Mm -hmm. day or of superstition Mm -hmm. or of holidays or even of just kind of feasting in general yeah so kelvin sees that this could go south this could go badly and um and so he takes a careful approach to it i do think that in today's modern approach to christmas that we should probably be more careful about what we're teaching kids is important about this day Hmm. um i mean my goodness i have little kids i have four little ones and the amount of material that they consume that tells them paw patrol saved christmas and (laughs) the elf saved christmas you know if we watch that movie elf and um just mm-hmm. about everybody could save Christmas be- when either Santa Claus is helped or when a nice gift is given to a family mm-hmm. member um, or when the, the turkey is you know delivered on time or something like that. And mm-hmm. so all of those, way- those things are ways of saving Christmas, and this is catechizing young people into believing that's actually what Christmas is about. Now, I don't think that people who go to church regularly, who are really devoted to Christ— actually think that the paw patrol could save christmas um
0: (laughs) i barely even know uh, what the paw patrol
1: (laughs) yeah and so they also save easter by the way um by i think bringing some some eggs to somebody at some point i just remember there being a lot of easter eggs and how the paw patrol save it so anyways um yeah i think back then this is an example of just how how wayward we can go yeah by losing sight of jesus christ and our need to, to worship him.
0: Yeah. I think back, back then, back in the day, Calvin would have been more against the superstition yeah. of it all. Yeah. Thinking that one day is more important than the rest and particularly more important than the Sabbath day. Uh, because that what was, that's what was functionally happening. People were celebrating Christmas with more reverence than they were celebrating the Lord's day where we remember his resurrection every, every Sunday. Mm. Um, and that's the day that we're, we're told to to worship and we're commanded to worship i think in scripture uh, but today calvin would probably have a different approach and would be more against not the superstition of the day per se but against the consumerization of the mm. day um well and the sentimentalization of the day
1: yeah the, well the, the sentimentalization is a great term because i uh, it is it is generally believed that jesus was probably born in the fall Hmm. And so I, I wondered at one point, what if, what if we did a lot of study and maybe there was some archaeological evidence that was discovered to pretty definitively conclude that Jesus was born in, say, September? Mm-hmm. I'm just sort of doing a thought experiment here. <clears throat> Would Christians then move our celebration of the Incarnation to September and in doing so jettison all of the consumerism would we be willing to do that i think Hmm. that maybe a majority of christians would have a very hard time doing that because of the snowflakes and the christmas trees and (laughs) all of the other things that have been attached to christmas and wintertime quite Mm -hmm. frankly it's like a festive Mm -hmm. season where you get cozy and you (laughs) curl up and watch your hallmark christmas movies and so, again, those, those are fine things to do. However, they are so deeply ingrained in hmm. our celebration of the Incarnation that I do think probably a majority of people would have a hard time if all of a sudden we said, we're mm-hmm. going to celebrate the Incarnation every year on September 25, mm-hmm. and we'll let the world have their presence and mm-hmm. maybe we'll do presents too, but it's not going to have anything to do with yeah. the incarnation. And we're not going to have a special worship worship service anymore on December 25. That's going to be on September 25. Yeah. You would have quite a revolt, I would say, <laughs> on your hands. Um, yeah. And to me, that shows the idolatry that has been, it's really in, infected, I would say, uh, our approach to Christmas.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I. That's an interesting thought experiment. I'd never thought of it in quite that way, but I think we would struggle to to move it. Um, it's interesting too. You think about countries in the, across the globe that celebrate Christmas at the same same time that we do. Everybody does, hmm. um, but they may not have all the you know the snow and the yep. icicles and the stuff. But they sort of recreate it because it's so ingrained to how Christmas is. Uh, Christmas is about the white Christmas. You're dreaming of a white Christmas, (laughs) even if you're in Hawaii, and that's why there's the Hawaiian Christmas songs.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Malakalikimaka
0: or whatever. Exactly. So I I think that that makes an an interesting point there. I think we would really struggle because, yeah, we do love the coziness of the season, right? We love to wear our warm clothes and snuggle up by the fire, and that helps to sort of romanticize Mm. Christmas a lot. You could even think of Christmas paintings throughout the past that sort of uh, make the nativity scene appear as if it was in Western Europe, mm, yeah. uh, where it's snowy and there's Christmas trees around and then there's little baby Jesus in the manger <laughs> and it's as if it right. was. that's exactly how it went down. Uh, I don't think that's, that's exactly right. I think what they're also trying to do, to be fair, those artists mm. are trying to just show the humanity of it all and trying yeah. to show that there's there's similar ideas that were... He came to be near so us, God's imminence, right. And yeah. so they're trying to put it in their own modern context and that, that makes sense, I guess.
1: Well, and a great example of what you're talking about is in a documentary film called God Grew Tired of Us and it's about Sudanese refugees who come to America and one of the scenes of that documentary is of their first experience of an American Christmas and now these were... <laughs> Utterly poor men. I mean, hmm. these young men had lived almost the worst imaginable life that you could. I mean, their families were murdered. They had to eat mud in order to, to survive. Um, they traveled hundreds of miles to a refugee camp where, of course, they didn't have electronics and things like that. And through a kind of a refugee resettlement and work program, four or five of them come over to Syracuse, New York. And so they're walking around the mall and they're watching Santa on TV. And they're like, what is going on? Um, And they're like, Hmm. and he's like, what is is a Christmas tree about? What is Santa about? And he, he looks at the camera and he's like, for us, it's about Jesus' birth and how he came from heaven to save us. Hmm. And then it it cuts right over to the Sudanese celebration of Christmas, which is a dirt field and amazing worship where there is nothing. There's there's dancing, there's singing, there's a loud celebration of the birth of Christ. Hmm. And it has nothing to do with Christmas trees or ornaments or toys or Santa um, or Christmas lights. It's just absolute joyful worship of christ and so i do think like they've got something there they, they've yeah. learned something there and they can teach us and i highly highly recommend that documentary god grew tired of us i've um, never even heard of it for for showing uh that little scene that is extremely convicting i think of the commercialization mm-hmm. and sentimental sentimentalization of our celebration of jesus birth
0: yeah, the the history of Christmas is also an interesting thing, and how it has become so commercialized in our day. You could even just look at movies. Just think of like the major Christmas movies from each decade, hmm. and they begin to get more or further and further away <laughs> sure. from even from like I don't think movies in the early twentieth century were all that Christian. You can think of It's a Wonderful Life mm-hmm. or of White Christmas. They're not really christian christmas movies sure Uh, but they have like it's a wonderful life has a big theme on friendship and on family and community destiny and
1: and kindness to others and there's
0: there's the cheesy scene with the angel (laughs) sure that's that doesn't make it a christian movie by any means yeah but i would say it's a little less commercialized than a movie like elf i just watched elf um, I, I I I feel like it's a must, but I don't really even like the movie Elf all that much. It's and you can just look at the difference there, and you can see how much further we've come. Mm-hmm. And even by the nineteen, I don't know when, whenever it's a Wonderful Life, nineteen forties. Yeah, did that come out? Yeah, I think the, the late forties, maybe. Yeah. Um, even by that point, Christmas had been highly commercialized. Sure, that really goes back to the nineteenth century, I think, from what I've read. Um, but your your point is a good point. It has been in many ways tarnished mm. uh, and the simplicity of the of the incarnation just thinking about the gospel stories they there is no room for them at the end it's yeah. this this family wandering trying to find <laughs> a place to stay for a night and they have him in a in a manger uh, there's a lost simplicity um in, I think, and just compare it to Black Friday, for example. Oh, man. You see, we've come a long way.
1: Yeah. Well, the first nativity was produced by St. Francis of Assisi in the early 13th century. Hmm. And the whole point of it was to make people aware of the poverty of Jesus' birth. Hmm. And so the nativity, you would go and see a nativity scene in Italy, say, in the 13th century, and um, people would be awestruck by seeing the hay and, um, hmm. seeing, you know, the swaddling clothes maybe and the manger that Jesus was placed in. And I don't know exactly if there would have been animals in there, but that's part of the point. And, and that's right. actually the point of much old Christian Christmas music is, oh, what a wonderful mystery that animals would behold, would behold the newborn King. That's hmm. one of my favorite Christmas songs called a Monument Mysterium. That's the whole point of the song is that there is, this is an amazing mystery that Jesus was born in this way. And and that's the point of it. That's the point of the nativity. Not that it's cute, not yeah. that it's uh, nice to include some animals so that kids have something to look at, <laughs> um, but that it is just the lowest poverty mm-hmm. having nothing Yeah, that Jesus was born into. It was mary and it was joseph helping mary Mm -hmm. and it was those three the holy family in essentially a stable probably a little bit more like a cave or maybe even the first floor of a house but there was nothing for them besides just placing him in a manger
0: makes me think of the magnificat and how mary's song is about how god is doing something tremendous and he's flipping things on Mm -hmm. their heads Mm -hmm. uh, and he's 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 turning the tables as it were uh, because of this this little infant who would have looked just like any other infant, uh, sort of as Luther's sermon mm-hmm. said about the the shepherds, that they would have had to believe God's word over against what they were seeing. They probably would have been wrestling in their minds, is this really the son of God? This just mm. looks to me like another little newborn boy born to very poor parents.
1: An especially poor baby. Yeah. <laughs> Not just any, but yeah.
0: So let's then... Take a turn for application here. What do we mm-hmm. do with Christmas now? Yeah. How do how do we celebrate Christmas? How should we celebrate or not celebrate Christmas uh, in the, in twenty twenty mm-hmm. uh, as as Christians and as Reformed Christians in particular?
1: Well, I think it might sound strange, but I actually think Jesus' first miracle is helpful for instructing how we would be permitted to celebrate and feast. Um, because Jesus' first miracle is the turning of water into wine and um, in that miracle of course they're the wedding they've run out of wine and Jesus turns this water into the best wine that people have ever tasted before and it's interesting what comes at the very end mm-hmm. of that narrative in John chapter 2 um, John two eleven concludes with he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him so Jesus uh, does a spectacular miracle, and his disciples are aware of it. They know that he's done something amazing that would be impossible by natural means. And that thing that he's done is he has enabled this wedding to continue, this feast to continue. And so we can certainly draw from that this belief that God does want us to have fun. God does want us to enjoy our lives. He wants us to to enjoy the things that he has made. And um, now the, the overarching message of that miracle is that Jesus has miraculous power, right. that it's a foreshadowing of the wedding feast of the Lamb that would come at the last day, that, um, that, that water will be turned into wine, that sort of a, a normal thing will be turned into a time of celebration. And so that is the, the overarching theme. But underneath that, we could say, that Jesus also did want people to continue enjoying themselves at a wedding. Mm-hmm. And that was the uh, what the miracle produced. So certainly we can say it is good for us to have fun, to feast, to enjoy our lives. And the fact that that happens around Christmas time is not necessarily a bad thing. It might even be a pretty good thing.
0: Yeah, spending it with your family, spending it in... There's going to be the chaos, but the, also <laughs> spending it quietly, trying to carve yeah. out moments of quiet. Um, and I think that that's particularly what this time of year does well for us. As it gets darker earlier, we're spending more time inside our homes, hmm. uh, with our families. Um, there can be the busyness and the chaos of it all as well. But forcing yourself to take moments of quiet, mm-hmm. uh, of devotion, of prayer, uh that is how I try to celebrate Christmas. I I like the desserts, I like the foods, and the drinks, and and all and all of it. I love hot chocolate. I love peppermint mochas. I don't know. I don't care if that makes me basic. I like them anyways. <laughs> um, gingerbread lattes, whatever it is, I I enjoy it. But what makes Christmas so special to me, and what makes Advent the approach special to me, is the moments of of quiet joy in God's presence. Mm. Uh, and so my wife and I are reading through an Advent devotional right now and taking time to pray, uh, in our evenings together. And that is my favorite part of, of the season for me right now. And it's been a chaotic season. We're moving mm. right now. We're trying mm. to get our house ready to, to be cleared out. And so we're moving things and, in, in increments and it's been a busy and tough season, and trying to also navigate uh, all of the COVID stuff right now. Right. Uh, but that is what makes the season special and beautiful to me is just quieting down, turning mm. off the TV, turning mm. off the screens and and praying with my wife.
1: Well, and that is a perfect example of where good theology will always be good news. So if we have a purely sentimental approach to advent or christmas then your christmas would be ruined because all of your christmas decorations
0: they're they, packed they can't
1: yeah they're packed up they can't be up um yeah do you even have a christmas tree right now we do have a christmas okay. tree it's so, our rebellion okay. <laughs> so there's that part of it but but i would have met like so we actually moved to ripon um in december as well and hmm. somebody had set up a tree for us in our house, which is really nice. It was a way for them to show welcome and care to us as mm-hmm. we were arriving here. Um, but there have been other times where we've been sort of on the move a lot in December mm-hmm. and we haven't set up a tree. And and so if our whole, all of our meaning for this season is wrapped up in those sentimental things, yeah. uh, Black Friday shopping, which was pretty much ruined this year by COVID, <laughs> and um, going to a restaurant to have yeah. that special Christmas meal again, ruined by COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, this pandemic has torn down a lot of that idolatry, I think. Yeah. And if what happens during Advent, um, that you value is actually the good things like devotional time, um, mm-hmm. an increase in expectation for the return of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, a real pure and simple enjoyment of worship, whether that's at home or in person, um, all of those things can continue happening. And so once again, good theology will lead us into life. It, it leads us away from those idols that can be torn down actually quite easily mm-hmm. um, and into more of an, a regular experience of God, um, a, uh, a more constant even experience of the presence of God. So mm-hmm. when we get Christmas right... It's accessible, actually. All those joys and those blessings are accessible to us. But when it becomes sentimentalized, then all of a sudden, if it's not just right, then everything is ruined. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see that, of course, a lot in our culture today. Yeah, especially
0: with even with families not even being able to get to see each other. I haven't seen my family basically all year. And we're still hoping to do Christmas together, although even that, I guess, is up in the air. Uh, I wasn't able to go down for Thanksgiving because we had a COVID scare and we had to get tested and turned out thankfully we were negative, but we didn't go down. And so even families are coping with uh, the, the whole thing of, like that Christmas has become is, is a time for family. Right. Yeah. Um, and even that can't, can't happen for many people. And right. so we're having to grapple with what Christmas is really about in a way that we haven't had to do before.
1: Yeah. And maybe in response to John Calvin's Christmas day sermon, um, the idol, the idolatry of family has yeah, taken over totally. um, the celebration of Christmas uh, or the celebration of Jesus' birth, uh, really of our Christian salvation. Mm-hmm. And so, again, COVID has had a way of revealing some of those things. And mm-hmm. if people can't be together, um, hopefully, with good theology, you can recover what this is actually about, that is to enjoy the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And really, so uh,
0: incarnation is th- the gift.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that and to value it as the gift, not just to sort of say that because we know that that's the right hmm. Christian Jesus answer, but this is hopefully going to be a year where we refocus ourselves where we reorient ourselves around the orbit of Christ instead of around the orbit of all of the hmm trinkets and tinsel and all of the other things that have kind of invaded this um now that's taking the very careful maybe a little bit um i would say not critical is too strong a word but but judicious uh approach towards christmas on the other side of things i do think that we we do need uh to develop a theology of play i was Hmm. listening to a lot of teaching from Alvin Plantiga, who is a Christian philosopher and actually a member of the Christian Reformed Church and uh, he was talking about various other philosophical issues but he just in passing noted that it would be good if philosophers and theologians spent more time developing a philosophy or a theology of play of enjoyment of um, humor Uh, all of these things are gifts from God for us and so therefore should be enjoyed by people um, all throughout the year, of course, but certainly it's a good thing to do those, to enjoy those blessings at Christmas time.
0: How Kyperian. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, right. In the best way, I think. I uh, think so
1: too, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a really good place to end this is that there should be, a sense of joviality. Is that the word? Yeah. Joviality? We can joke, we
1: can laugh, we can have uh, parties, we can have fun, we can give gifts. All these things are good to do.
0: Right. And we can enjoy it and not have to feel terrible about it or mm. bad about it. Uh, whether you may have a disagreement, maybe you think that by conscience you can't do this, and that's okay too. Um, we have I know Reformed people who do not celebrate Christmas mm. um, for those reasons, and thats I respect that, and I get that. Um, but for the rest of us, it's okay to enjoy it. But maybe my challenge
1: to that person who doesn't celebrate would be to say, do you have joy though? So like it would be, I I don't know whether or not they do, but it would be easy for people to have the martyr complex and say, oh, I don't celebrate Christmas. And actually what they're doing is rejecting the second fruit of the spirit, which is joy, Hmm. um, And the first three fruits are love, joy, and peace. And those should be evident in our lives. And Mm -hmm. Christmas is a time where we can be joyful together. And that's a good thing. That's a fruit of the Mm -hmm. spirit, actually, that we would share our joy with other people and have a meal and joke and watch football and do all these things joyfully with one another. I would say that if people are proud of not celebrating Christmas, of which there may be a few, They should Mm -hmm. seriously examine are they seeking joy and are they are they just a real embodiment of Christian joy in their life? Mm -hmm. Or is it more of that ascetic really rejection of God's gifts um, that are are meant to be enjoyed <laughs> it's and they, right they feel the they
0: feel a sense of joy because it's essential maybe it's a sense of pride yeah of spiritual pride absolutely that i am i am sacrificing more than everyone else and yeah you take on the martyr complex for sure i've, I've seen that I, I i am in different forums where i see reformed people talking many of them i don't know so it's i don't really want to cast judgment mm. but i i will see lots of laments and complaints about Oh, my family has been celebrating Christmas, and I'm locked up in my room. <laughs> I can't even go outside because then I'm endorsing Christmas somehow. And sure, I think that, that that's that is really sad. But people, there are people who who do celebrate Christmas or celebrate
1: the incarnation, maybe or
0: the, I, the, what I mean to say is people who don't celebrate Christmas yeah. at all, but but have that sense of joy about them even still. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So. But yeah, I think like the idea of a theology of play, uh, we could do more work on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that is a good place to stop. And so hopefully people can gain from this that there is certainly permission in the Reformed uh, history of theology mm-hmm. for uh, celebrating the incarnation of Christ. And there is even biblical warrant for celebrating holidays. Hmm. Um, but uh, to be careful about making things into sentimental idols so um hopefully this uh conversation has been a blessing to you as you prepare to celebrate in whichever way the lord leads you to um whether that's through christmas day worship um celebration of the full season of advent or just everyday celebration of our salvation through jesus so thanks for listening everyone and, yeah, and uh, Merry Christmas. Yes. <laughs> God bless <laughs> and, us, everyone. And we say Merry Christmas <laughs> here at uh, Almond Valley. And uh, hopefully this has uh, been good for you in contributing to the merriness of your holiday.
0: Amen. The Lord be with you guys. Right, bye.